I mean, she's my everything. She's my all in all. I just love her so much. Uh, you know, she just completes me. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, that burger shake and fries down there at Five Guys, I mean, that just completes me. That makes my life. I mean, I can live better. I can see better. I mean, life is good when I've got the burger, shake, and fries. Amen? Uh, and, uh, and you're always shorting yourself if you don't get the shake, right? So it's burger, shake, and fries. Just get it all together. If you don't, it will be not complete, all right? Uh, there's things in life we say that, that just completes me. That completes me. I just feel better better, I feel fulfilled, and uh, the problem is this, is that everything in our lives that is temporal, uh, that has some tangibleness to it, that has some lifespan to it, if you will, um, will always fall short of completing us. It will always fall short of completing us, of fulfilling us, of fulfilling us. And one of the things that people are looking for in life is fulfillment. Fulfillment. I just want to have some fulfillment in life. And it seems like our jobs or our marriage or our money or our career or our life's choices just do not seem to add up. They just don't seem to be enough a lot of times to fulfill the vacuum that exists within inside of what is called the soul. And if you've discovered that, and you know that to be true, then I believe that you are actually in a good, good place. Because at least you have come to a place that you can say to yourself, these things do not fulfill me. I need something greater. I need something more. And I can tell you tonight that that place of fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's only in Him. In the book of Colossians, we've been studying this book for some time now, and I'm almost done with it. I hope to not be almost done in the sense that I'll ever be go back to it, but I mean that in the sense that we are coming to the end of this study of the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 18, we find the theme of the book. I want to read it to you again. In fact, let's go to 17 to just grab a little bit of context. Speaking of Christ, and it says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things... He might have the, what, preeminence. If you remember, preeminence means first place. It doesn't mean that Christ is number one and this is number two or this is number three, but really that Christ is first place and he's the only place. There's only one place, there's only one place, there's only room enough for one on the podium. And that one is Christ. For it pleased the Father that in Him all full that should in Him should all fullness dwell. Verse chapter number two, verse number nine. 
For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now go to the end of your book here of Colossians chapter number 4, and let us see where we'll be at this evening. In verse number 7, it says, All my state, Tychicus, Declare, shall declare unto you who is beloved, a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate, that it's how you're doing, and that he might also comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you have received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. These are only my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are of Laodicea and them in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. What do you get when you have a brother, a slave, a prisoner, a Christian, a Jew, a pastor, a doctor, and a deserter? It's not a bad joke, okay? All right? But what you get is you get a snapshot. You get a snapshot of the people that served with Paul. You get a snapshot of the people that served with Paul the Apostle. In his writings of the epistles and also in the journeyings in the book of Acts, you find that Paul lists over 100 fellow workers with him. A hundred different people. You know what that lets me realize is this, is that Paul, though a great apostle, though touched by God, though had the hand of God upon him, he could heal people, he could speak in tongues and languages that he, that he did not know. He could do signs and wonders. Yet, a man that started church after church after church after church in minor Asia up through Greece and all the way to Rome. And God worked in this man in miraculous ways. Yet, this man, who was so touched by God, needed people to help him out. And I don't care who you are in life. You never get the top by yourself. You never are going to be able to succeed all by yourself. You need good workers and fellow people around you to help you out. That's why God knew that man needed somebody to help him out. He just would never get along in life. I mean, he said he created the woman for a helpmeet, right? I mean, he never would. He wouldn't be able to be fulfilled. He wouldn't be able to be helped. He wouldn't be able to be in the place that he is today because he didn't have help. Paul had help. He had help, many of them, all over the place. And in our account that we have tonight, if we're not careful, we'll read the end of Colossians and we'll kind of read it like we read the chronologies and the book of Numbers or in First and Second Chronicles. We'll go through this list and we'll just kind of say Tychicus and, and I don't even know the rest of these people's names and just kind of go on down the list and say, I finished the book and I'm good, I'm done, let's go on to First Thessalonians. But inside of this little list here tonight, we find some people that found their completion in Jesus Christ. They found that there was a satisfaction, a fulfillment in Him. That Christ was preeminent. Not that He should be preeminent, but that He is 
preeminent. And I believe when this truth that Christ completes you, sinks down into your heart and soul, that you can have full assurance of the will of God for your life. And as Epaphras prayed in our text here tonight, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know, it's not necessary, as we'll see here tonight, that it's not necessary for a Christian to drift in life. You don't have to drift off. You don't have to be a prodigal son. But you can know the will of God for your life tonight and enjoy it. Let me say that again. You can know the will of God for your life and enjoy it. And enjoy the will of God. Just like these people did that we're going to look at here this evening. And as you learn to live for God and for His will, and as you learn to live that out, you'll begin to grow and mature in faith and the experiences that God places you in. The first man that you come to tonight that finds his joy, finds his completion in Christ, is this man, Tychicus. The man Tychicus, a great man, I call him a faithful brother, a faithful brother. If you're taking notes, you can write that down, Tychicus, a faithful brother. If you don't know how to spell Tychicus, well, then look in your Bible. It's there, okay? Uh, but even then, uh, then go ahead and just, just write down a faithful brother, a faithful man. He was a beloved brother, a faithful brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. And the fullness of Christ had brought Tychicus into a position early in, in the early church. He would go on to fill in for the ministries of Titus on the island of Crete. He would go on to fill in for the pastor of Ephesus, Timothy. He would go on and serve with Paul in and out of prison. He would actually be the one that took the letter that you have in your hand today, the book of Colossians. That was a letter, an epistle, not an apostle, an epistle, all right? That's a letter. He took the apostle's letter, the epistle of Colossians, Philemon and Ephesians, he held those manuscripts in his hand, he held the original autographs and he put them there and he brought them to those churches to hear the word of God. Think about that. He was counted as a faithful brother. And when you are complete in Jesus Christ, then you can trust God to be faithful to him. You can trust him enough to be faithful to him, to be Realize that he is all in all. But if there is something else that is always added into your life, you've always got to add something else. You see, we have to realize that we're not, we're not to add to this thing of Jesus Christ. That's what the problem was in Colossae. They were always, the, 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 the philosophers were wanting to add to Jesus. They were saying that Jesus is okay. Jesus is all right. Believe in Jesus. That's okay. No problem there, okay? But, Add this and put this to it and put this over here to it and put this philosophy and put this on, on, on top of it. Jesus is okay, but I mean, not everything that he says is okay. Take some things with a grain of salt. Take some things with the culture. Take some things uh, that, uh, that, are, uh, that are not relevant to us today and then put other philosophies to that. And that's exactly what's happening today. Nothing's changed in our world, Amen. The devil's still trying all of his, all the tricks, and he's still putting them in there. He's saying, just add this in here. Jesus is fine. The devil does not care if you believe in Jesus Christ. Can I say that tonight? He cares not at all if you believe in Jesus Christ, just as long as you don't believe that he's the only 
person that is able to get you to heaven. As long as you don't believe that, you know what, maybe this right here can also help me too. Maybe this philosophy can, maybe this type of thinking can count me. Maybe if, I'm, maybe if I'm a good person or maybe if I indulge in some worldly deeds or some ungodly pleasures, maybe those kinds of things added to Jesus will complete me and satisfy me and fulfill me. The devil's okay with you believing that kind of nonsense. He's okay with you believing that kind of heresy. But the Bible says in Colossians 2.9 that it says that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything you and I need tonight is found in Jesus Christ and that would produce faithfulness. If we would get a hold of that and believe that, then we could be like this Manticicus and we could be a faithful brother or sister in the Lord. Then we move on to another person. We see here another man mentioned to us here in verse number 9. He says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brethren who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. You say, big deal. Who's Onesimus? Well, you'd have to go over to the book of Philemon to find out who Onesimus was. You know what Onesimus was? He was a slave. I call him a punctual slave or a surrendered slave. That's kind of an oxymoron, but anyhow, uh, kind of redundant, if you will, on a surrendered slave. But he was a slave. He was a slave to the man Philemon. But he was saved in prison underneath the teaching and preaching of Paul the Apostle. And he was going to be sent back to Philemon for restoration. But he, in just a very short amount of time, proved to be a worthy minister of the Lord. Can I say this here tonight? That you don't have to be an old Christian to be a surrendered Christian, amen? You don't have to be one that's just been, I've been faithful in the Lord for 10 years or 20 years or 50, I'm just a surrendered. No, you can be surrendered to Jesus Christ tonight. Onesimus got it right, I believe, almost right off the bat. I mean, he got saved and got surrendered. There's some people like that. And man, it'd be great if all Christians were like that. But that'd be a fairy tale. We know that doesn't happen. We know that not all of us, when we got saved, we got surrendered. We, I mean, just the moment we got saved, we've been sold out the rest of our lives for Jesus Christ. A lot of times, it works like this, that we get saved. And sometimes, sadly, in some churches, in some places, wherever you're at, you might have got forgotten. Maybe you weren't discipled. Maybe you didn't grow in the faith like you should. And time went on, and decisions were made, and things happened in life, and it didn't seem like... It was going the way you should, but now you're probably at a, maybe you're at a place now that God's been maybe tugging at your heart to give your life over to Him. Take up your cross and deny yourself. He says, deny yourself. Surrender. Yield over your life to Him. I always think that's a, and that's not just a message to, te- to, to, to teenagers, amen? I think that's a message to every single believer in here tonight. But if you are, a young adult, a teenager, if you're somebody this, this evening that would consider yourself a young person, then I'll let you know that the sooner you surrender, the better. Amen? The sooner you surrender, the better. I've read a lot of war stories. I've read stories how the One army is gathered against another army. 
You read about a story, though, in the Bible that's horrific. It's horrific. God tells the children of Israel that the Babylonians are coming. Jeremiah tells them he's coming. They're coming and they're going to take over and you need to surrender. You need to surrender. They come, but they don't surrender. And so the Babylonians, instead of risking lives and men and their own army, just say, fine, sit there in your city of Jerusalem and we'll sit here. And we won't let any supplies come in. And sooner or later, all the food is gone. Sooner or later, they're selling pigeon poop to eat. I know that sounds disgusting. And then it all breaks loose when the king has a question brought to him. By two prostitutes. And one says, last night we ate my baby. And tonight we were supposed to eat hers. And she won't give it up. What do we do? (laughs) That's a real story. That really happened. You see, things just got worse because nobody surrendered. And it's best if you surrender early. If you give over early. Give over early. I can remember being in a church service that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God was speaking to me, convicting me about a particular decision that I was in my life, and God was convicting me, God was convicting me, God was convicting me, and I said no. And I walked out of there saying no to God. And I ended up making a big mistake not too long after that, over that very same thing. You see, the thing is this, is that if God is speaking to you tonight, it's best to be a punctual servant, it's best to be a surrendered servant. Give up now, amen? Give up now. You say, if I give up my life, then what will God do to me? Hey, listen, if you give up your life now, God, you can enjoy the will of God for your life. I've got to continue on. You see a zealous prisoner. His name is Aristarchus. Now, here is a man that had a lot of zeal. Now, some commentators think that he actually imprisoned himself and put himself into prison. And so that he could be with Paul. I don't know if that's the case or not. I do find him in Acts chapter number 19. And he's being hauled off into the middle of the theater there. And he's being with Gaius there. And him and Gaius are in the middle of the throes of all the people being almost torn asunder. uh, Right there in front of everybody. And then he's off in a ship with him in Acts chapter number 27 going off to Rome. He's in the shipwreck with him. Aristarchus, I mean, he was a, I mean, Aristarchus almost makes me think of a man that just wants to, it's like he wants to witness to people so bad, he actually, it's like he wants somebody to punch him, you know what I mean? Like, I want to be so zealous, I want somebody to be mad at me, almost in a way. I'm not saying for you to be that zealous tonight, okay? That's not my point. But it meant, wouldn't it be good if somebody just had a little zeal, amen, a little fervor? 
a little bit of a little bit of get up, a little bit of keenness about themselves to say, you know what? I, I just want to tell some. I want to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I want to let somebody know that God loves them. Too many times, I think some Christians are the exact opposite. They don't want anybody to know they're a Christian. They want to hide that to themselves and kind of keep that in and be secret service Christians. Amen. But God hasn't called us to be secret service Christians, okay? Put our little earbuds in our heads and, you know, tap our ear and talk to our friends. You know, no. That's not the way God's called us to do. He hasn't called us to be quiet and silent and, and, and dress in all black and kind of stand in the background in the shadows of things. No, he's asked for us to be out in the forefront to tell people about Jesus Christ. And you know when you'll do that is when you find your fulfillment in Christ. When you find your fulfillment in Christ, guess what? Why will you do that then? Because you want other people to be fulfilled like you're fulfilled. You want other people to know what you know. Mark is our next candidate here on the list of fulfillment. It says in verse number 10, it says, Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. I like Mark. I could preach a whole sermon on him. I call Mark a second chance Christian. Maybe a third chance Christian. Not because the rest of them weren't Christians, but Mark is a lot like, he's a lot like Timothy and Titus. I kind of I think of Mark, I even kind of identify with Mark myself. Mark, Mark grew up in a home that was a home where was a believing home. I mean, for, his mama had a church in her house, okay? If you kind of get an idea, all right, what Mark grew up with. Mark... Uh, probably around the ages of 15 to 18, somewhere around there, was following Jesus Christ. Following him around. He wasn't a real follower yet, but he was just kind of following around. Mark is found at the end of Mark 15 in a very curious, unusual passage there where uh, they go after Mark to uh, get him while they're getting Jesus too. All the rest of the disciples scatter. Mark happens to be there also. And as Mark's there, they run to grab, one of the soldiers runs to grab Mark and they pull his clothes off of him and he has to run naked through the night is what the Bible says. I mean, it's just an interesting thing right there. What happens? I mean, can you see this, you know, 16-year-old boy? streaking down through the forest I mean running into the house you know what I mean at midnight and here it is I mean it's just a it's a scene and then a few years later I mean he's matured he's a little bit better he's got his clothes back on and everything and uh he's he's there uh with Paul and his his his, his uncle or cousin uh Barnabas and they're off on missionary journey I can imagine a 20 21 year old just being fully excited let's go let's get the gospel out I mean we're getting on a boat I've never done this before let's go let's have a good time and about halfway through the journey he's like man this is not for me he leaves tucks tail and runs forsakes Christ, he forsakes Paul, and Paul won't have anything to do with him after that. But Barnabas, being the encourager he was, puts his arm around, Barna- puts his arm around Mark, and Mark ends up being a faithful servant to God. He becomes such a faithful servant that in 2 Timothy 4.11, the Bible says this, Paul says, the man that refused Mark at one time says, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. In this place here, he says, Marcus' son, uh, Marcus' sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom you have received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. He became a good, and talk about a second chance Christian, what did Mark end up doing? Wrote the book of Mark. 
The gospel of Mark. Why? What a, how did he become a second chance Christian? He began to realize that his fulfillment was found in Jesus Christ. Who makes you complete? And then we come to no-name justice or the no-name Jew. Justice, Jesus, there's nothing said about him except for one little thing, that he's a fellow worker, but that's all that needs to be said. And I'll say this real quick about justice, since there's not much said about him in the scriptures, I'll keep it light here too. Is that if we're going to find our fulfillment in Jesus Christ, we've got to be satisfied with nobody knowing us. Being fulfilled in Jesus doesn't mean that your name is at the top of the, top of the page or, top of, or on the headlines or anything like that. It just means that you're satisfied, your fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else. Then we come to this man, Demas. I put him here because I, just wanted, I, don't want, I didn't want to end on such a negative note. But I skipped to Demas here because... As justice was a worker, Demas became a deserter. 2 Timothy 4.10 tells us that, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. I have a message I preach. It's called, Don't Be a Demas. Talks about don't find your completion in this world. Don't find it with the things of this world. First John chapter 2 and verse number 15 says this. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever forever Demas was one that didn't find his completion in Christ but he found it in the world he was done with this missionary business he was done serving Christ by 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and 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 Philemon he's known as the fellow brother in chapter number 4 of Colossians he's known as Demas in chapter number 4 of 2 Timothy at the end of his life he's known as the deserter it's almost as if a progression was coming in Demas' life there that things were just kind of slipping away from him. He kept his eyes. He kept looking off into the distance and he kept looking at the world and the world system and he said, maybe they've got some ideas. Maybe they've got some plans. Maybe they've got something on this whole thing of life and everything. Maybe, they've, maybe there's something to what they're saying here. And he forsakes Christ and he forsakes the gospel and he goes off into the world. The church needs people that will stay with Christ, that will not give up on it so easy for the allurements that this world has to offer. It's too many times that people will give many years of their life to sin and ungodliness only to prove that those things never fulfill but yet they won't give very much time to Christ to see if he fulfills. Folks, when you get saved, you don't become super Christian overnight. You don't grow an S on your chest, all right, and have x-ray vision, all right? Or let me put it a little bit more spiritually. You don't become gentle, good, nice, kind your language probably doesn't clean up immediately. 
Things don't just automatically begin to happen. But I'll tell you this, what should begin to happen is you ought to grow and mature in Christ. And I don't mean grow like a tomato plant. I got some tomato plants right now that are about six foot tall out there. Six foot, I'm not kidding you, six foot tall. All this rain and sun and rain and sun and rain and sun, the maters don't even know what to do. I mean, just growing, it's a jungle out there. But I'll tell you this, come about, all, come about September, October, they'll be brown, no, no, probably August, they'll be brown. God don't want you to be a mater plant. God wants you to be an oak tree. Start small, grow big, and keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. Don't stop growing. Don't, if, you, if, you, if you try to find pleasure in this world, it's going to make you incomplete. Incomplete. And then you find a praying pastor. Epaphras was the pastor of the church of Colossae. He had actually left. You find this background information in chapter number one, but he had actually left Colossae, traveled to Rome to assist Paul some and to ask, get some questions answered for him. And then he was going to go back to his church and pastor there again. But this was a true servant of God. Another man we could preach a whole sermon on. But he, tonight, we find he was a praying pastor. When you're complete in Jesus Christ, you find yourself being faithful. You'll find yourself, if you have left, coming back. You'll find yourself surrendered. You find yourself not caring for accolades. But I'll tell you this, you'll find yourself praying. You'll find yourself praying. And you won't find yourself praying around the world. You know, some people just pray around the world. They pray for everything so generally, they never pray for anything specifically. We need to pray for things specifically. He prayed for the people of Colossae. He prayed for the people of Hierapolis. He prayed for the people of Laodicea. He prayed for them. And no doubt he prayed for them by name. He knew them. He knew who they were. He prayed for them. I pray for you by name. I lift you up by name. Not by family even member, but by name. I pray for you. And ask God to help you in your specific needs that is going on in your life. I did that this morning. And I asked God to meet those needs. And we all need to pray that way. Man, wouldn't it be a blessing if we as Christians prayed more for each other that way? If we actually had our fulfillment in Jesus Christ and we actually believe that if Christ could do something for somebody, amen, he could actually work in their lives. And I don't mean heal their big toe, okay? And I know some people have a problem with gout, all right? I got to wake you up every once in a while here, okay? But I mean praying for somebody's real spiritual need. Amen? Praying for their well-being. Praying for their kids. Praying that God would just work in their heart and their life. But he's distinguished as a servant of Christ. You notice that in the text. He said, who is one of you? A servant of Christ. And when you're complete in Jesus, you can't help but talk to Jesus. You got to talk to him. You're his servant. You're, he's your master. You ask him what to do. He's distinguished by his fervency to pray. It says that he labored in prayers for them. He agonized is literally the word there. He agonized in prayer for them. 
Like Aristarchus, he was zealous. He was willing to risk his life for them. And he was distinguished as a man of completion. For it says that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He stood complete in Christ. Therefore, he wanted others to have the same confidence and assurance that he had in his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That he was fulfilled, they could be fulfilled. You ever ate something really good? I mean, really good. And you're like, you say something so profound. You go, wow, man, this is good. I mean, just so profound. I mean, a profound statement there. And, and, you, and you, you just, you take it, oh, man, this is good. And then what do you do? If you got somebody with you, and you're not a jerk, you go, you got to try this, right? This is good. I mean, you got to try it. And they go, no, it's okay. No, I'm all right. I don't really like that kind of. No, you got to try. This is so good. You want other people to taste what you have. You like it, and you want people to have it. Doesn't the Bible say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. I'm glad the Bible is so simple. Amen? It doesn't use fancy language sometimes. I mean, I read, and I read the word affinity this morning. I had to look it up, you know. But, uh, but it don't always use fancy language. It just says, oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Amen? He's good. Epaphras had that desire for people because he had been fulfilled with Jesus Christ. He had eaten on Christ, if you will. He is the manna from down from above. He is the everlasting spring that flows out of our belly of river waters like from the Holy Ghost of God. And he is it. He is all. He is everything. He is our all in all. We are complete in him. And Epaphras prayed that his people would know that. Do you pray that for people? What completes you? And then finally, we see one more man, and his name is Luke. And I love this. In verse number 14, it says, In Luke, the beloved physician, a loving doctor, a praying pastor, an incomplete deserter, a no-name Jew, a loving doctor, a punctual slave, a zealous prisoner, a second-chance Christian, and a faithful brother. This beloved physician, what a beautiful title that is. Beloved physician. Beloved, meek, humble, caring, helpful. There when you need him. When I read about Luke and Paul's epistles, it just seemed like, I mean, it just seemed like everybody loved Luke. Everybody likes a good doctor, don't they? That's what Luke was. He was a good doctor. What made him so lovely? What made his sacrifice and service to see Jesus Christ so touched by love? What was it? What in the world could have inspired Luke to leave a successful, prosperous career in medicine to travel the world? As a missionary. 
You say, you think doctors were prosperous back then? Listen, the Greeks loved medicine. One of the most popular, it was, it was one of the most uh, sought after and successful careers that you could be in. Interesting little tidbit you read in the book of Luke and Acts. Luke wrote both of those. Is that in those two books right there, two tidbits here, is that in all, in all fairness, Luke actually wrote most of the New Testament. And uh, he wrote most, he's the, he's the, he wrote more than Paul as far as words are concerned. And then also is that I believe it is Luke that uses the most language, unusual words, and all the rest of it too, all the, all the New Testament. He was an educated man, but he was humble. Why? You guessed it. He found his fulfillment in Christ. What made him so lovely? What made him so beloved? He loved Christ. He loved Jesus. And he found his fulfillment in him. What completes you? What is it that completes you? What fulfills you? If this is Christ and this is you, is it just this much that you have in, of Christ? Are you just kind of running on empty? Or do you just have a little bit more? How, how much? How much do you have? When are you, when is it, when is enough enough? When are you going to be complete in him? When are you going to find your fulfillment in him? Are you satisfied with saying, you know what? I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Would you be okay with this much of Jesus? How much? You can really have all you want of Jesus Christ. Every bit of it. You see why? Is this because if Jesus is here filled up to the top there ain't no room for me there's no room for self that's why that's why you find your fulfillment in Christ no left no room left for Matthew J. Cox No room left for me. So what completes you? Are you faithful? Are you surrendered? Are you zealous? Are you okay with not being known? 
Are you praying? Are you loving? Or have you drifted away? You don't have to. In fact, if you have, you can come back to him like Mark did. That's the beautiful thing about God. He always allows people to return. He always allows people to return. No matter how bad we failed, and no matter bad how, how bad people have rejected us or hurt us or we've hurt others, you can always go back to God. Always. And when you do, you can know God's will and enjoy it. Enjoy knowing God by being complete in Him. What, who completes you? I hope we all can say, Jesus. Jesus does. Father, we're thankful.